to another episode of Thick and Thin, where ball is always life. I'm your host, Karthik, fan of the Super Bowl champs, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Here with my co-host, Nitin. What's good, Nitin? Yo, I don't know how you're sober right now. I don't know how you went to work <laughs> today. I don't know anything. I'm barely either of those two things. So congratulations, man. I'm happy for you. I know how much a title probably means for a fan of two of the most long-suffering franchises that we have in American sports. You saw one of them get to the mountaintop. Talk me through what's going on in your head. It's uh, it's a surreal feeling. I don't know if I've processed it fully yet. The way it happened was in any, you know, I played this game out a bunch of times in my head. Like, what if we won? What would it look like? And I never saw a scenario in which we would absolutely beat down the Kansas City Chiefs. And it was... It was fun to watch, but it was a weird game just because I was on edge the whole time. You know, the Chiefs, you know, they can come back at any moment. I'm getting all these congratulation texts in the third quarter, and I'm like, oh, God, it's not done. It's not done. But <laughs> when it finally happened, when the clock that... hit zero, it was a relief, man. It was, it's like so many years of frustration all kind of wiped away with one Super Bowl win. That's what it means to have a certain TB12 leading the charge. It's unlike anything else. I think that you can exist, right? It may be not since Jordan was on the Bulls did something feel as inevitable as Tom Brady in the Super Bowl and, of course, winning the Super Bowl. Seventh ring for him. He's now got more than every franchise in uh, the NFL. He's got more than 18 franchises combined. So the very first thing I want to ask you is, like, like we talked about, I think, two weeks ago or three weeks ago, since you've been a fan of this team, they've never had a guy that was a top quarterback at the moment. Now they go to having the greatest quarterback of all time, the greatest NFL player of all time. Some people are starting to call him the greatest athlete of all time. When when you when you watch the end of last season, Jameis throwing that pick six, I think in overtime versus Atlanta, right? To kind of seal it, gave him the 30-30 season. How do you even like process what the fuck happened since then? Because Tampa Bay had this ready-made team, and you were like, it's all going to go to waste because we can't figure out the quarterback. And suddenly, Brady has some issues in New England. He's looking for an exit. Tampa's the perfect spot. And next thing you know, you got your second Lombardi. I'll tell you how it played out. I mean, two games left in the season last year. Uh, Jameis had, I think, 24 picks. And he, but he had actually been playing well. He had a stretch of three or four games in which the Bucks they'd won like four in a row. He was turning a corner, and Bucks fans were talking themselves into signing Jameis to a long-term deal. And I was talking to myself, okay, you know what? He's picking up the Arians' offense. This could be it. The last two games, he throws six picks, um, and like you said, the final pick being the one to send us home and in, in overtime. And if it wasn't for those two games being that bad, I honestly think he could be back in Tampa. Like, we saw the 5,000 yards, the 30 touchdowns. You'd say, okay, one more year, he'll get the picks down. Yeah, It's worth taking a chance. But it ended in such a catastrophic fashion that we had to look elsewhere. And in the offseason, a lot of the talk was Teddy Bridgewater, maybe like a Phillip Rivers. Um, yep. There were a lot of underwhelming names being tossed around, and Teddy Bridgewater was the hot name. And the Brady thing came out of nowhere. It there were a couple rumors and you dismiss them immediately. It's like, why would he go to Tampa? Then it started picking up steam. And then you hear that report that comes out that he's looking between Tampa and the chargers. And even then it's not real because LA versus the bucks. Like they're both 
irrelevant franchises. It's not like one has, and, and LA has a lot of talent themselves. And at New Stadium, seemed like a no-brainer. He'd rather go there. But I think the wild card for us was Bruce Arians um, and just a lot of the talent on, on the defense. And I think Brady saw it. He saw the talent of this team, and he, he decided this was the best path. But I, I don't think any Bucks fan could have ever expected this. In, like, and yeah, and this for year. being honest, he's probably also looking to avoid Mahomes twice a year, right? I mean, that was part of the calculus to avoid the AFC East, uh, AFC West, excuse me, right? Yeah. Comes to the NFC South, and yeah, like you said, Giselle, he's got the supermodel wife, and she, you know maybe <laughs> LA makes more sense. That always seemed like the thing that clicked. Um, I know there was a number of other areas. Tennessee had some rumors early before they re-signed Tannehill, a couple other guys. And look, we can do this over and over again with Brady and what are the accolades? How do you how do you explain? How do you like describe what he's meant? But even up till midway point through the season, even through week thirteen when they were seven and five, you cannot say that this was the guy that was the you know of the old Patriots lore. His last season in, you know, New England kind of went out with the sputter. This season he was playing up and down and it was like, yeah, well, he's trying to figure out a new offense. It's totally different, but it's like, yeah, but he's also 43. So which is more of the reason that this is happening? Exactly. And I know this is revisionist history. This is hindsight is 2020, but you go back and look at their five losses and they were all to great teams or great defenses or both. They lost to the Saints twice. They lost to the Rams the Bears when they were playing well and on a weird Thursday night and to the Chiefs. And so they had a chance to actually avenge, you know, three of those five losses, right, by getting to play the Saints and the Chiefs. But it just kind of goes to show you that a lot of what we saw on tape was when they didn't look great, it was also against really good competition and it was early in the year. And so when things started peaking, um, you definitely got a sense that this could be something. But I'll tell you, I picked against them for three straight rounds, right? Four straight rounds. I picked Washington money line. <laughs> so I literally picked against them every round. They had to go on the road three times, two and two of the most difficult places to play. I know fans are different this year, but still going to Super Bowl, Superdome and then going to Lambeau, suddenly get a home game, but it's against maybe the next greatest quarterback of all time. I Everything that happened yesterday feels like it was explainable and we were talking around it. Arash brought up a couple of those points. He actually picked 31-17 bucks and I was like, ah, it's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> but at the same time, I think the reason why it was so crazy is because this Chiefs team and Mahomes specifically was as much of a beware if you bet against him as Tom Brady was. Um, and that's what I think was so crazy to watch it all play out. And it was like, oh my God, like they're getting wrecked. And it was just a really weird sight to see. We've never seen it from Mahomes. And uh, I, I agree. And the, when you look at the season, um, the offense always had a high. I said this, I think, on last week's spot too. The offense always had a high ceiling. The defense always had a high ceiling. But we were so inconsistent. And you always wonder, do you chalk that up to not enough time together? Or do you chalk it up to bad coaching, just a misfit, right? We've never seen this work in the NFL. Whenever there was that one Super Eagles team, do you remember when they got like Namdi? Um, I think other uh, Vince Young was calling yeah. him the dream team uh, yeah, from the his dream role team. as a backup quarterback. We haven't seen it work in the NFL. And so I, I think what you said is spot on in terms of when Brady was up and down, do you blame it on him being old and maybe losing a little bit of it, his touch? Or do you blame it on the inconsistency? And it was hard to parse which one it was. And you could look at the games they lost against good teams and say, oh, they only lost against really good teams. Or you can look at it and say they can't beat anyone worth anything. They're front right. They're stat padding against the Lions and the Falcons of the world. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, now looking back, I think that 
the lack of a proper offseason and training camp and everything made it really difficult for these guys to gel. And the thing with this team is they're so deep. Like we saw that yesterday that Chris Godwin and Mike Evans barely had any any catches in the game, but they're still fine. Right? They're so yeah. deep and that makes it tough because you're not relying on just two or three guys. There's so many different guys you're plugging in playing on yeah. both defense and offense. And it's harder to build that chemistry when you have such a deep roster. And um, yeah, so I think looking back now, it looks like clearly it was just they needed time. They needed time to gel. They needed time to figure out who they were. And I think it all came to a culmination in the playoffs and then finally in the Super Bowl where I think they put together the most complete performance of the season. And I, I, I want to get to Brady, right, and what this means for him. It's Like I said, it's almost inexplicable at this point. But all of what you said is true except for the fact that it was counting on a 43-year-old quarterback yep. playing in a new system with no offseason. And as much as you want to say there's a bunch of talent around him, which is true, and they added even more talent after he got there, it just – felt like going up against the true guns of the league, the Aaron Rodgers, the Patrick Mahomes of the world, he was going to fall short. And the fact is, he had a great team around him, which allowed him to have a higher margin of error, like we saw it with the three picks in the second half versus Green Bay. But you also saw today where he, or yesterday I should say, where he knows how to play mistake-free football when they need him to make plays. And that's always been the, the brilliance of Brady, right? Playing the right way in the right moment. So let's get to the game, okay? Because... Yep. There are so many things that happened um, where it really wasn't one thing that you point to. So the first thing I want to talk about to get it out of the way is the officiating, right? Because I think some people early on were trying to pinpoint. And I, I think there was two calls that I would say were questionable. One questionable, one bad. So the questionable one was the Matthew pick uh, with the hold. You could go either way on that. The fact that they call it wasn't, you know that egregious, but that was kind of a game-changing play. The second was the pass interference on Matthew in the end zone, where it looked like it was 10 yards past uh, Evan's head. Now, at first, I was ready to make the case that this was the reason, but they got their asses handed to them the entirety of the game. From start to finish, there wasn't one quarter the Chiefs looked good. And even when they were throwing every single play, when Bucks are playing soft, you know, because they have a 20-point lead, they still couldn't do anything. And so to me, I'm like, okay, look, were there areas where maybe the calls went in favor of Tampa here and there? Sure. But unlike other situations, like even the Green Bay game, this had no bearing on the result, none whatsoever. So I just want to put that to rest. Yeah, the officiating, you know, there's always going to be calls that could have gone either way. And I, I think the the most egregious one was definitely the one in the end zone uh, on Matthew. Like that was clearly not even close. The other ones are more ticky tack, but I, they're still justified. Like, I don't think any of them were egregious. And the other thing you have to realize is this crew, this refing crew gave out the most penalties this year out of any other refing crew, 16 a game. And so people always want to act like, Oh, how come these refs let everything get played, you know, in the regular season. And then, all of a sudden, in the Super Bowl, they're calling it super tight. Like, be consistent, blah, 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 blah. This ref crew's been consistent. Like, that's the thing. People treat every game like it's ma managed by the same refs. This ref group, 16 penalties a game, led the league. They tend to blow the whistle faster. Good teams, one of the things about, uh, I think, the Patriots is they study things like that. Or you, you prepare for things like that. You should know how it's going to be called. We talk about this in the NBA all the time. If, if the, you know, Tony Brothers is, is in a game versus um, Dick Bavetta or whoever, right? Like that means certain types of fouls are going to get called more. And so I think when you put that into context, 
it doesn't seem as crazy. And this conspiracy to help Brady and make them win the Super Bowl, I think that's the part that gets to me is that everything has to be a conspiracy with Brady. Look, Mahomes is also the poster boy of the yeah. NFL. When thing, when calls go against the teams the Chiefs are playing, people say they favor Mahomes. So you have to pick one or the other. Like we talked about last week, and even the week before, there was no Super Bowl matchup that was going to be bad for the league. Yep. You had probably the four, three most famous quarterbacks in, in football, plus Josh Allen and emerging Bills team with a huge fan base. So no matter which way this shook, I think the league was going to be happy. Now, to your point, they called 15 total penalties. So right on line with their average, right? So I agree. I think it was, and I would say that the Bucks, sorry, the, the Chiefs did not get hosed on offense. There was no missed holding calls, no missed PI calls. I thought Levante David, I mean, Tyre, uh, Kelsey got his numbers by, numbers by the end, but I thought Levante yep. did such a good job staying on his hip pocket without getting there early. There was a couple bang-bang plays that he was just on time. Like, that's what he does. Devin White was making plays side to side like we talked about. So that's one thing. The second thing, because I think the main story is how well Tampa played, but I want to talk about some other ancillary things, all right? So refing's one. Mm-hmm. Second that I thought was crazy is the Chiefs. This is the team that almost in its entirety was in the Super Bowl last year, down 20 to 10 late in the third, came back. They have the moxie. They never get beat big. This is the first time that Mahomes has ever lost by more than a possession, all this kind of stuff. And they looked like this was the first big moment of their lives. Incredibly jittery, incredibly mistake prone. I mean, you talk about the drops, right? By Tyreek in the end zone, by Daryl Williams in the end zone, by by Kelsey on that huge third down. Um, you talk about just dumb mistakes, like lining up offsides on a field goal attempt, or you know, the pass interference on Mike Evans, letting you get beat deep. It was the same thing we saw the previous week versus Green Bay, where they just let the guy get back behind him at the end of half. It's like they're only playing for one thing, right? So, so many mistakes, even you know. Even some of like obviously I'm not gonna crush the the tackles too much. They were new and tough position to be in, but they just looked like they weren't prepared. And I don't know if it was not traveling till Saturday. I don't know if it was the Andy Reid's son, Britt Reed's like that tragedy. I don't know what it was, but they weren't a team that looked like they were ready to play the way Tampa was ready to play. And that was you know clear throughout the game for me. Watching that game, the Warriors analogy I always use with the Chiefs just came to life because we've seen this with the Warriors where in that, you know, 2016 finals, they kind of got a little discombobulated. Steph threw a behind-the-back pass out of bounds. And when things aren't – when you kind of get into their head and stop them from doing what they like to do, all of a sudden they they can fall apart. They're not invincible. And I think the Chiefs, they're so used to playing one style of of, of football. And – even when teams get pressure on them, Mahomes has one of the best, um, you know, whatever, QBR passer rating, anything when he is under pressure compared to any other quarterback. And so the narrative was always like, yes, we know the offensive line is decimated, but Mahomes is known for being an escape artist, extending plays, and he's got talent who can get open and, you know, they can still survive. Because against us, the Niners last year, Mahomes was under fire the entire game. Even towards the end, he had to scramble, get out of the pocket, make big time plays the bucks took away everything man and i know we're going to talk about their defense but i think the the chiefs aren't used to having nothing go their way and i think they actually there were a lack of adjustments that were made on their end they did not do yeah. enough they started running the ball a little bit in the second half which i thought was good they were actually getting a lot of chunk yardage and the bucks were daring them to run 
but they went away from that too much. And I think, you know, for Mahomes, as great as that escapability is, sometimes it's harder to block for a guy who's always on the move. And this is one thing about Brady I don't think he gets enough credit for. You think that Brady being a statue in the pocket makes it easier to sack him, but it's also very predictable. The offensive line knows exactly where he's going to be, and you just got to play a very specific way every single possession. And he's not a statue, by the way. That's Phil Rivers. I told you my Brady's best ability, the thing he's the best ever at, is his in-pocket mobility. Yeah, he's not a statue, but he moves in a very tight, like tight methodical circle. way. Yep. Mahomes, I don't know if you saw the stat. He ran for 497 yards this game. Behind the uh, line of scrimmage. Behind the line of scrimmage or total. I don't know. But either way, that's the most any quarterback had this season. And and that helps him, but at the same time, a play breaks down. When he gets out, all of a sudden, you, it's easier to shed your the offensive lineman, and the defense can just get right after him. So um, let's let's quickly talk to it. So this is an absolute dereliction of coaching duty that this even happened, right? Because mm-hmm. what was happening was, especially once they got down a little, the Chiefs were trying to take the top off the defense, right? Which are slow developing plays, allowing yep. your speedsters to get to the back line behind the safeties. And Mahomes had to bail instantly because he knew that his tackles were not going to hold up for the four seconds he needed to get the ball downfield, right? And so by the time Tyreek runs runs 40 yards, he knows he's not going to have that time. So he would hike it and then immediately jet back. It was literally like <laughs> watching my like 12-year-old self play Madden. Like it was crazy. And he was making some Madden like throws too. Let's, let's be clear about that. But the thing that I didn't understand why they weren't trying more is just more screens, more Tyreek in space, more jet sweeps, more Travis Kelsey little pitches. Like Andy Reid's whole philosophy is misdirection and be creative, have motion, have three guys on one side. There's all this stuff that they've done all year, and it looked like they were just trying to run da bomb like over and over again, <laughs> and it wasn't working because the Chiefs, the Bucks weren't getting weren't having to send blitzers to get to Mahomes. So you got to figure out how to get the ball out quicker. That's exactly what Brady did. Um, a couple quick screens, running game started working, and then play action. And the Chiefs defense was on tilt. But Andy Reid, I don't think, designed the right game plan given how much of a limitation his offensive line was going to be. Maybe he didn't think that it was going to be as bad as it was. Absolutely. And they, they ran the screen a couple times, but anytime things were working, they'd get away from it real quick and fall back into the trap of, looking for something long developing far down the yeah. field. And look, they were down 31-9 in the third quarter, but with a good amount of time left in the third quarter, this game was not over. They could have still run the ball. They could have played the short passing game. I think they got a little desperate, honestly. Like they were trying to get it all back too fast. And it just played right into the Bucks' hands. Like I was very surprised that at 31-9, I was like, okay, maybe the Chiefs will score once more, twice more. You know, classic garbage time. They make it close, but maybe they don't win. I was surprised they didn't score anything. Like the Chiefs out of all teams, when the Bucks are probably sitting back and just allowing you to get chunk yardage, at least get one score, two scores, they could barely get across midfield. And I think Andy Reid, um, look, I don't think he had a good game overall, especially when you take into account his time management, which... Andy Reid used to get crucified for his clock management skills. And what yeah. he did at the end of the first half was, I don't know how you can do that. The Bucks clearly were intent to just take it into the half. He calls two timeouts, one on third I was good two. with the first one. I was good with the first timeout because they only got one or two yards. But then the second Fine. one, they had the screen to Godwin. And it was like a third and a very short two. Third and a very short two. And the Bucks last week, 
showed that if you give them a good enough situation, they're going to at least go for it. And so why tempt fate? Why do that when you could go down halftime, down one score, getting the ball back? Uh, I thought that was probably the worst decision because now a 21-6 game versus a 14-6 game is very different. And the momentum so, completely changes. Yeah, and I, and I think to your point of abandoning what was working, let's even go with the first ha- first drive of the second half where Clyde Edwards-Hilaire was looking yeah. good. He's running the ball. They're playing two deep safeties, so there's a lot of room underneath. They were totally okay with them breaking off chunk yardage in the run game. They would do it like twice, and they'd be like, no, nah, fuck it, we got to go exactly. deep. Exactly. <laughs> and I was very surprised by that because of the situation they were in last year where they came down from double digits three times. Um, against the Texans, Titans, and Niners. They'd just done it. They came back from 9-0 against the Bills. Like, this was old hat for them. And I don't know if it's because the Bucks got into their heads a little bit because when you're playing Brady, you like you, you have to play mistake-free football, right? There isn't a lot of chances you're going to get. He's always going to make the right play. And I think the, the real problem was the Chiefs' defense. And now let's talk, maybe let's talk about the Bucks' offense here. Is nope. They were getting eviscerated and I know the overall numbers weren't crazy right by the way it ended up like Brady had 200 yards passing they, they ran the ball for 140 150 yards between Fournette and, and uh, Ronald Jones but they really had him on tilt Matthew was on skates every play trying <laughs> to figure out what to do right the pass rush was totally stymied I mean my god the Bucks line played incredible they had four pressures one sack but really he was untouched on any nope. big throw, it was a clinic. It was an absolute clinic. Um, Brian Leftwich, Tom Brady. I mean, fuck. Like, yeah, <laughs> it was. If you were rooting for them. That was just pure sex, honestly. It was. It was awesome. And look, Brady was six. Uh, the first half, sixteen for twenty, one forty yards, three touchdowns. So he was on. Like, if this game was close, he was going to put up big numbers. It's because the game was kind of out of hand that his final stat line didn't look that impressive. But he was cool, calm, efficient. He look, this is the thing with Brady. He's just the first couple of drives we stalled, but the Bucks never panicked. He um made all the right plays. And I think, like you said, Leftwich called a fantastic game. My the biggest worry for the Bucks is the entire season they have a love for the deep ball. And everyone's begging them, use more play action, use more of the screen game, short passing. And they'll do it sometimes, but they always fall back on the deep ball. We even saw it in the Packers game. In the Saints game, there's an, a reliance on that. This game, they completely decided not to even focus on that. Everything's short, and they mixed it up quite a bit, too. Like the tight end screen to Cameron Brait, they never really run that. Um, a lot of great routes they're running, a lot of play action. Fournette in the screen game was was awesome. You know, the, the yeah, shaky Chief. hands. So I was... I was thinking he would drop one or two, but he he he, yeah, um, which he's done in the past. And Rojo's yeah. got stone hands, so that's why they never use him in the screen game anymore. Um, but it was just a really well called game. It was like a smooth oil, like a well oiled machine. Like even when we got down to the fourth and goal and missed it, I wasn't too phased. I was like, that was a great drive. We came out really close, and um, I was just really confident in this offense the whole time. They played really well. And and look, Godwin at the end of the day had two receptions for nine yards. Evans had one reception for 31. This is what separates Brady from a lot of the other great quarterbacks. He doesn't need to get the stars involved. When Mahomes doesn't have Kelsey or Hill going, it's hard for that Kansas City offense to move. And yes, they have less talent. 
But I, I don't think enough credit's given to the fact how Brady can really spread it around. And it doesn't matter who he uses. He, he's able to get the ball down the field. Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of struggle to really criticize the Chiefs, because, like in general, because they've always produced, right? Like you think about Mahomes' other playoff loss was also to Brady. And they put up 31 in the second half and, you know, would have won if not for D Ford lining up offsides in the uh, AFC title game. So it's almost like he hasn't given any, me any reason. The offense hasn't given me any reason to criticize, which is why I was so shell-shocked watching yesterday. Um, I know we can point to things in that game, but like Tyreek and Kelsey, if they're not on, maybe he struggles, but they're always on, right? Even the, yep. even the, the, the possession you were just talking about, the goal line stand, Turning point. It's 7-3, right? Get the quick pass to Tyreek. And then Kelsey drops a 20-yard pass on third and eight that he always catches. And then they fuck up the punt right after that. The guy fumbles and shanks it or whatever happened. And then the Bucs go down and score. And 14-3 and suddenly it's a totally different game. And so it was a lot of kind of like sliding doors moments. But at the same time, between the sliding doors, it was also utter domination so it didn't really feel like there was one or two plays that if they went a different way, who knows? Even if that Tyreek Hill catch in like the first quarter was a touchdown, I don't know. I just it didn't look like this Chiefs team could block, and it didn't look like the receivers were getting open fast enough, and the play calling wasn't set up for that. So yeah. it was kind of like they were doomed to fail with with what Todd Bowles had, had designed, um, you know, on defense. And so, so yeah, and he didn't have to blitz. Right. Mm -hmm. And that was the big thing. They could drop eight. They had David and, and uh, White kind of shadowing underneath and they were able to double Tyreek on almost every play. So, yeah. So let's talk about the defense now, because obviously the Bucks defense was the star of the show. Um, look, I was saying everyone is saying, really, they're going to play a lot of two man high this game. They didn't do enough of it the first time they played and they paid the price. They, they played two man high in 82 percent of the plays, uh, which is the highest they've had this season. Um, they were hell-bent on stopping anything deep and totally comfortable giving up the, the middle of the field to Travis Kelsey. Levante David played an incredible game on Travis Kelsey. Now, Kelsey's stat line is going to look big, uh, but ultimately 78 out of 133 of those yards was in the fourth quarter when they were down 31-9. And I think David gave up eight receptions for 60 yards specifically, but a couple times he, he actually defended defended the passes directly you know like those bang bang plays you were talking about mm -hmm. but the all the other times anytime kelsey got it he was immediately brought down to the ground and the chiefs live off yard after the catch and i think one of the great things the bucks did on defense was swarming the ball so it's like okay yeah you're gonna complete it to kelsey get seven yards levante david's right there and then all of a sudden that sure it's a second short third and short but then mahomes takes a sack and so by giving them only you know six seven yards at a time limiting the big play with the two safeties drop back and knowing that they're not really going to run. It was, it was just a great, great performance um, and not even getting to the pass rush. But, but I do want to first just call out that Levante David was amazing this game and it doesn't show up in any style line, but he played, I think lights yeah. out when we needed him. And I think Brady was the rightful MVP just because like in terms of singular importance to a player and like the way he set the tone in the first half, but you could argue David, you could argue White, you could argue Vita Vea. Like, there was a yep. lot of guys on the team, especially on that defense. You could argue Leonard Fournette, frankly. Like, he had a bunch of big runs that really set the tone, and then he also broke one, too. And like you said, it was good in the screen game. It was just a total team effort. And, and I know one of the things that you want to talk about. So, 
the interesting point is offensively, all of their points were scored by acquisitions this season. Mm-hmm. You know, three ba- Brady touchdowns. Gronk had two. Antonio Brown had one. Fournette had one. Defensively, it was more of the homegrown, built from the ground up kind of flair, right? Like David was drafted a while ago and sat through a lot. You know, him and Mike Evans have been through the dark day, dark ages in Tampa. Um, you know, Devin White was recently drafted last year. You had Antoine Winfield. Um, you know, Vita Vea was a first round pick a couple of years ago. So it was kind of cool because Tampa's first run was built on this dominant homegrown defense with the Warren Saps, the Derek Brooks, John Lynch's. And this is the second iteration that was kind of built in the same, uh, you know, the same philosophy. You had the dominant D line, you know, back then it was like Simeon Rice, Sap. Here you have JPP, these guys. And, and it's a cool to see that like evolution, but then you add Tom Brady over Brad Johnson and suddenly things get <laughs> a lot easier. There are a lot of eerie, eerie similarities between both teams. Um, and even with off, like Brad Johnson was also an addition, uh, similar to Brady, right? Keyshawn Johnson was kind of your Antonio Brown. Um, not exactly, but hot-headed diva receiver who, you know, was brought Are in. Are you and- about to do the Simmons thing where he ends up comparing Kevin Durant to Kevin Love? No. I'm not gonna- <laughs> Did you hear that? <laughs> was this recently? He was trying to say how – I'm sorry. Oh, for- oh this is one of his – trying nets. to say how the Brooklyn Nets were like oh, the, the Nets comparison. Cast. Oh, I, I did hear that one. I- it was just basically that Kyrie was on both teams, and he's like, "All right, this is my starting point." So I'm just hoping you're not trying to do the same. But no, I'm. Not, I can keep going. I'm not going to do that. I do want to go through the Bucks draft class, okay? Because I want to, like you said, the the big the scores in this game were all the latest acquisitions, but all the key cogs for this team this season and even in the playoffs were all homegrown. So 2017, let's take it back there. We draft OJ Howard. Justin Evans, Chris Godwin with our first three picks. Justin Evans is whatever. O.J. Howard was playing well early in the season, finally, before he tore his Achilles. We know Chris Godwin's a stud on offense. Yeah. 2018, Vita Vea, our first-round pick. Absolute stud, monster. Big reason why we won the Super Bowl, too, because he was dry, I mean, he was pushing back. That's what made it really hard for Mahomes uh, in the yeah. past, is, is that the pressure was coming directly into him. Rojo was a second-round pick. Also, Played really hard. Was a better running back than Fournette most of the season. Just got yep. injured. Carlton Davis in the third round. Really becoming a shutdown corner for us. Played amazing. Alex Kappa, starting offensive lineman. He went out with injury a couple of games ago. Jordan Whitehead, fourth round. This is all from the 2018 draft. Jordan Whitehead, starting safety. 2019, Devin White, starting linebacker. Sean Murphy Bunting, three picks in the postseason. Um, starting cornerback. Jamel Dean, he's our slot cornerback. Mike Edwards. Uh, the safety who stepped in for um, Antoine Winfield and Scotty Miller, all in the 2019 draft. Scotty Miller in the sixth round, who's yeah, also made yeah. good plays. That's and then 2020, Tristan Wirfs, starting right tackle, who's had arguably an all-pro season. Antoine Winfield uh, in the second round, who's our starting safety. And then Tyler Johnson in the fifth round, who he had a couple key plays. So just looking at the last four drafts, we have like 12 starters across offense and defense, which is incredible like the 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 job jason light has done these last four years uh and and here's the thing when you draft really well and then you make a couple free agent signings it's not just about the starters i think one of the reasons the bucks are so good is because they have depth they can plug and play guys and not skip a beat Mm -hmm. Um, we lost vita vea it hurt us a lot but our pass rush was still pretty solid 
we lost, um, you know, Devin White for the first playoff game. We survived. Like we just we're a team that is built to kind of adapt. No matter what weapons we lose, we have interchangeable pieces, and I think a lot of that is because of quality drafting. Because you can't afford to just assemble a, a, a superstar talented yeah. roster, right? You need to. Your depth is going to come from how well you draft. It reminds me a lot of the New Orleans teams from the last five years that have been also excellent drafted, right? Like I mm-hmm. think the 2017 draft for them produced Kamara, Marcus Lattimore, uh, yeah, Mark, Marshawn Lattimore, Lattimore. Williams, like a couple of the guys. But they had more consistently good quarterback play. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of the difference between them going to the playoffs every year and the Bucks being like 7-9, and 6-10, that kind of thing. But finally, you get that piece, and it shows you. You shows you your quarterback doesn't have to be your best player necessarily, but they cannot kill you. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they do have to be your best player if you're going up against a Mahomes or a Rogers, like, and they're firing on all cylinders. But we've seen quarterbacks get to the Super Bowl, get to the conference championship by just not screwing up. And that in itself, if you have that depth around you, is such an underrated skill. Mm-hmm. But I think it's fitting. I don't know if do you remember what we did on our I think it was our first or second ever episode of uh Thick and Thin. What do we do? We walked oh, through the Kings the, the Kings draft picks. Oh yeah. <laughs> the fucking graveyard the that opposite. Yeah. And it's only fitting, and we're gonna shut the podcast down after this week. No, no, <laughs> but it's only fitting that we 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 kind of come full circle with the Bucks actually making smart changes. So let's talk about the Bucks infrastructure right because bruce arians is a guy you know jason light gm bruce arians head coach and arians is not a guy who's been a very sought after head coach in his career it took him a very very long time after successful stints as an oc in in indianapolis in pittsburgh to get the opportunity in arizona and he was pretty good with carson palmer on his last legs and they had some good runs but didn't ultimately work out. And in Tampa, as, as early as recent as this year, people were calling for his head. Like this guy that doesn't know how to, <laughs> Yeah, this guy doesn't know how to adapt to Brady. He's trying to like big time him. He's putting in his own system when Brady plays a different way, all this kind of stuff, right? And you see what him and his coaching staff have done. By the way, the most diverse coaching staff in the league. I don't think this is a story that should go underappreciated because so you know, for me. What you talk, Arians is a guy everyone likes to play for. Everyone loves all the players swear by him. All the coaches swear by him. So talk to me about what he meant to the program and also what he means to, to a fight that I think a lot of minority coaches are struggling to win, even to this day, even with all the success that they're having in terms of the way he's putting them forward, in terms of the way that not only is he putting them in positions of power, he regularly speaks them up. Right, you know whether it's Leftwich or Bowles. So, what has Arians meant to, to this infrastructure? Because a lot of people are looking at him like, well, he was the guy last year who whose offense led to all those turnovers. So, is he really the real deal? I think the Bruce Arians and Bucks fans have had a up and down year with him because it seemed like he was limiting this team, um, and schematically, he's archaic. His offense is old school. He's not a Sean McVay. He's not uh, a dabble on the Bills. He's not, and they're not running a lot of crazy concepts, a lot of motion. It's very basic, straightforward run, play action, a lot of vertical routes. So I think the, the frustration with, with Arians is that he's not an innovative coach. And so it feels like sometimes when our offense doesn't play well, it's easy to blame him. What he does well is he empowers his coaches, he empowers his players. And 
that that's such a weird thing to say because how do you like how does that manifest itself you can't tell if that actually is a thing or not Mm -hmm. um but he has a large coaching staff and the reason he has such a large and diverse coaching staff uh, forget about the diverse part of it we've had one of the largest coaching staffs in the league and when Bruce Arians was first hired, people were like, why is he hiring so many people? Is he just kind of letting people do their own thing? And he's kind of taking a step back. He's 68. Maybe he doesn't want to be as hands-on, but that's his philosophy. He doesn't want to be a hands-on guy. He's not micromanaging. He's not a Sean McVay who's obsessing over every single aspect of the game. Yep. He empowers his coaches to coach. He empowers his players to play to the best of their ability. And I think this team has a lot of, inherent talent on this roster and sometimes the mistake coaches make is you try to pigeonhole players into your scheme you try to make them fit into what your philosophy is and sometimes that works great if you have the perfect roster but in reality oftentimes it doesn't work and i think he's done a really good job empowering the people underneath him empowering the players uh and he's just a very rah-rah personal blunt i'm not gonna you know i'm gonna tell you how it is apologize for who i apologize and i think people respect that and people respect that he's also coached a lot of great quarterbacks and so early in the season when he used to criticize brady publicly and everyone was like oh you can't do that to brady of course you can and brady's fine with it you can't coddle brady um and and i think brady respected that and and liked that about uh bruce arians that look he's going to be real whether it's me whether it's carlton davis whether it's levante david um, we're all going to be treated the same. And I think the players recognize that and respect to that too. As much special treatment and attention Brady gets in the media, I think the coaching staff, you know, they treat everyone kind of the, similar. And Brady is not uh, an exception to any criticism. So, look, I, I think Arians deserves a lot of credit because it's not just about winning with this team. It's about changing a losing culture because this team has been mired. And that is a thing. A losing culture, that stench in the locker room has existed for a long time. And, and I really believe that's the thing. Like, why are the Browns, Lions, why do they suck no matter how many coaches they go through, how many players they go through? It takes, like, a, someone to come in and fundamentally change everything about the way an organization operates in order to actually get them out of that, get them out the bud. And I think Bruce Arians, along with Brady, were the perfect catalyst. And coaching evaluation is a fickle beast, right? You know, the same coach can look like a genius with a certain set of players in a certain set of circumstances, and he can look totally out of depths with that, you know, with a different set. Like, take Greg Popovich, right, who won five titles, who's always competing, 50 wins every year, and now they're floundering. They're playing well, but they're not going to win the title. They're not going to compete for a championship. And so it's one of those things that, like, okay, so Popovich, Pop gets a free pass no matter what. Belichick gets a free pass no matter what. But it, uh, Belichick's a perfect example. He went seven and nine, looked totally like, uh, uh, you know, their offense with Cam Newton looked horrific. Nobody knows what was going on. And so you're like, oh, well, that was all Brady. This is pretty clear. I don't think that's the case. I'm just saying that, like, evaluating coaching has so many variables. It's really hard to do so other than to kind of take the word of the players who play for him or her. And they love Arians. And you can argue sometimes being a player's coach is a negative, but I think he holds his players accountable in a really unique way that probably keeps everybody kind of marching to the same beat. Right. So. Yeah. And, uh, and look, uh, Byron Leftwich, I'll say this one thing. Bucks fans are frustrated with Byron Leftwich because we all think he's actually a terrible offensive coordinator. 
and Bruce, and he's he, at the end of the day, he's doing Bruce Arians' offense. Like, why doesn't Bruce Arians just step in and call the plays himself? But it's it's one of those things. I don't know if you've seen this at work, where it's like you can mentor someone or have someone on your team, right? If, if they're reporting to you, and it's very easy to go in there and take and do what they need to do and get the job done. Absolutely, it's another to let them fail and go through that process themselves, and it's taxing. But ultimately, it might put you off in a better place. That's the kind of leadership Bruce Arians has, where Leftwich has no track record of being an OC. Now you're asking, except for last year, now you're asking him to lead a Tom Brady offense. Like, there's so much pressure with that. Bucks fans wanted Leftwich head, his head throughout the season. But Leftwich called a great game in the Super Bowl. And that's because Arians always believed when no one else did. And I think that's how he treats all his coaches. I got some advice one time uh, when I when I first became a manager, and it was uh, – your team's going to do things twice as slow and four times as worse as you would have, but unless you let them do it, they'll never get to be anything more than that. And so if you want them to eventually be the leverage that you need them to be, you have to invest the time early on. And it's really true in all forms of leadership, in all forms of managing, right? Uh, But at the same time, sports is an interesting concept where you don't it's so public. It's so evident what's going on. There's fans, there's you and me and like we're yelling and we're typing mean tweets and doing all this stuff. And it's like, sometimes you don't, you aren't afforded that time to actually go and develop. Um, You know, even look at like the famous Washington coaching tree under Jay Gruden produced all these, like (laughs) all these geniuses, Kyle Shanahan, Sean McVay's, all these dudes of the world, Matt LaFour, they weren't all necessarily that exact level of coach when they were when they were like leading Kirk Cousins to first round exits, you know, in DC. <laughs> so it all kind of depends on circumstance. It depends on development. So there's a lot of uh, you know a lot of elements there. Um, I want to talk Brady. Anything else you have specifically on the game? Just to the coaching, I think this was one of the most like the best coached games I've ever seen from any team in any sport what they did against the Chiefs. Now, that sounds like hyperbole. Maybe it is. But to put a game plan to slow down a Chiefs team that looked unstoppable and who never... Mahomes has never been held without a touchdown, right? I, I think yeah. that side exists. Yeah. Um, and then on, on the offensive side, to put up... Look, they scored 31 points in two and a half quarters or maybe two and three-fourths of a quarter against the Chiefs. And the Chiefs aren't some great defense, but... Yeah. They did everything they need to do on offense, everything they need to do on defense, everything they needed on special teams. Even suck up hit a long fifty-yard field goal. I think the the coaching deserves a lot of credit for this this game. Yeah, and in hindsight, I think I overvalued the first quarter of the first time they played and undervalued what happened the rest of that game. Where yeah. I took it to be the Chiefs kind of took their foot off the gas with the win in the bag. Yeah, most people I, did. No. But I actually think that if you go back and look at that, that it was still a game in the end. Like it was not quite the you know victory cigar game that we thought and i think in our heads it was like oh my god tyreek hill 270 yards receiving blah 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 and there's a little bit more to that than i i probably should have paid attention to i think you were being that like annoyingly like pessimistic fan who's like not going to get your hopes up too much so you kept picking against the bucks you it actually worked picked- man I, I even bet I against know, the bucks kind of making me sick um <laughs> but but nonetheless so the Bucks are one of the most lovable winners, uh, a franchise that's had the, actually the worst winning percentage in the NFL since they came into the league. 
Um, they do have one Super Bowl, which everyone remembers, and it was kind of a brash team that had some fans, some haters, but it was also so long ago that you couldn't yeah. really attribute like Bucks history to that one team or that one version of the team. So on that front, City of Tampa, you know, they've had their moment in the sun, uh, you know, with the, the Lightning winning, the, the Rays making it to the uh, to the World Series, and then of course now the Bucks, which is cool, but it felt very uh, heartwarming, right? It was, you know, it was, it was the underdog. And they kind of climbed the mountain, as I mentioned. But with Brady, he's the ultimate winner. Um, and he's a guy that has gotten a lot of hate over the years because of just jealousy, envy, you know, people thinking he was overrated, system quarterback, blah, blah, blah. We, we don't need to relitigate the Brady legacy because I think that much is pretty much set in stone. But the only thing I'd ask you is, A, is it feasible that we literally never see this, any version of this in our lifetimes? Um, because I'm leaning to yes. I know 50, 60, 70 years is a long time, but he's over doubled the, the next quarterback in terms of playoff wins. He has so many more Super Bowls than, I mean, Montana had four, Bradshaw had four, but it like Mahomes... Rogers, Breeze, like these guys are the next Wilson, whoever you want to put in there. They're, they're, they have no chance. So we're now looking at a new generation of quarterbacks who aren't even in the league yet. That consistency to play for that long. Is there any way anybody catches him ever? I don't think so. I, I, and it's, it's too early to say, obviously, but it's just the math. Think about the math, man. Like even Mahomes, who's as great as he is, if he plays another 12 years, he needs to win half a Super Bowl half of those years, every other year, just to catch up to Brady. And yeah, you say maybe he'll play longer than 12 years, but the way athletes play today, you see Mahomes, the hits he's taking, yep. um, the fact that these guys scramble more, they're not going to last 20 years. Like we saw the end of the, like, it's not only Brady, it's Roethlisberger, Rivers. These guys all had pretty long careers, uh, given the the circumstances. And it's because they just took less hits. But the Josh Allens, the Mahomes of the world, the way the NFL is trending, I just don't see these guys having a 15, 16-year career. And it's it's just harder to win, man. I think there's just more turnover. Teams are are getting more competitive. I think we're seeing a new trend now where we're going to the Brady experiment worked. Now you see the Rams kind of go all in on Stafford. We're seeing a little NBA, uh, NBAification of the NFL where, Hey, we just need to switch out the quarterback. Maybe we can make a run. And so I think teams, you're going to see teams kind of not just stick with the same quarterback for 15 years. They're going to make aggressive moves. And yeah. so that is also going to make it more competitive and harder for him to win. So it's just what Brady has done. And credit to Belichick. I don't think the Brady versus Belichick thing should ever be an argument. It, both of them were important. It's just hard to do it for 20 years and then get to a Super Bowl half of the time and then yeah. win the Super Bowl uh, two-thirds of the time or more than two-thirds of the time. I was going to say, like, Brady's longevity is not just unique compared to this current generation and their play style. It's unique to his own peers as well. Manning played 17 years and retired. Eli Manning played... Uh, 14 years in or 16 years in retired. Um, Aaron Rodgers is 37 now, but he sat for three years, right? So his all-time numbers, all those things are kind of behind. Plus, there was points in last season, even not this MVP or the year before that, where it was kind of like, uh, I don't know how much more Aaron Rodgers has in the tank. Roethlisberger, maybe he comes back, but he's cooked. Rivers retired. Breeze retired. So these are all guys that are Brady's contemporaries who couldn't make it as long as he did. 
Mahomes is 25. Brady is 43. The likelihood of Mahomes playing till 43 is just very small because nobody plays that long. No. Um, at any position in any sport. So yes, there's this idea that we're getting smarter and better about handling our bodies and look the LeBrons and Federers and Serena Williams and Ibrahimovic as all these guys are proven us, but there's still a certain physical limitation. And I just don't see 43 or 44 becoming the norm. I think it's a pure exception to the rule. And if a guy like Mahomes does it, great, but I'm not going to count on him being any more likely than anyone else. In fact, maybe I'd go with someone who takes far less punishment, like a Justin Herbert, right, to be able to play that long. I'm not saying Herbert would be in the GOAT conversation. I'm no, more no, I, I play that far. And that's what it's like. Because at this point, not only like, – I was just looking at his career numbers and <laughs> year to year in the regular season, he's probably had like three or four that are really impressive. And other than that, it's like not incredible. Mm-hmm. But he's played for so long – the accumulation of the stats are going to become so much that he's going to win on every argument. He's obviously going to win the wins argument. He's going to win the stats argument, right? He's already leader in touchdowns, yards, et cetera. He still has another chance to repeat, which we'll get to. And he's played so many more years that it's almost inconceivable that anybody will play that much to catch up, even if they're throwing for 25% more yards per season than he did in his prime. So the odds are low. The odds are low. And there are a lot of intangibles that with Brady, like I'm, I'm just telling you, man, like I've, we've both watched him his whole career. Brady's career has been in the spotlight. Patriots have always been in prime time. We see him in the Super Bowl. Everyone knows Brady inside and out, but seeing him on the team this year, a lot of the coaching staff talked about this. A lot of the players have talked about this and it's not lip service. Having Brady on the team has lifted the ability, the playing ability and talent of everyone on the team. It's gotten them more focused. It's gotten them more um, disciplined. And how do you quantify that? And I think those are some of the edges Brady gets. Like his, the way he's able to lift his team is, is Rogers doing it? Is Breeze doing it? I don't know, but it's one of those things where there's not, it's not coincidence that Brady's teams always perform at their best. And you can go down the roster of all of those Patriots teams and you can say they've had great defenses, but they have not made over 20 years. They haven't had a top five defense every single year. They've had years where they struggled. Brady's been the constant and Belichick was the constant, but with Belichick removed, we see that Brady still can apply that same formula to another team and win. And so I, I think this season validated that he, there is something truly special about him. And yeah, I'm glad he moved, you know, even if it wasn't Tampa, I'm glad he was able to go to a new team and show that because I don't think, he gets enough credit for those intangibles and how he can take a team that has struggled for so many years and all of a sudden vault them into Super Bowl contention. Like that is something that I don't think any quarterback can just go and do. And he was able to do it. Yeah. And a lot of people are like, look, it wasn't just him, right? There was a number of free agents. Oh, yeah. But I think, look, Antonio Brown was a nice piece. Was he absolutely necessary to win the Super Bowl? Probably not. Um, Fournette, you could argue maybe was, um, just given how well he played in the playoffs. But I also think that like, you know, he was cut by the Jags, right? It wasn't like they finagled their way into getting him. The Jags just decided two days before the season, they didn't want this guy. So I made a list also. I think there's, there's nobody who has this list of the QBs he's defeated. I think there's nine hall of famers by my count, either current or soon to be. 
Mm-hmm. Tell me if I'm missing any. This is just ridiculous. Peyton Manning, Kurt Warner, Ben Roethlisberger, Drew Brees, Aaron Rodgers, Mahomes, Phil Rivers, Russell Wilson, Matt Ryan. Of quarterbacks Brady has beaten in the playoffs. I think you it's hit. Crazy. Who's got that kind of resume of wins? I know it's not head-to-head. Football's a team sport, blah, blah, blah. But at some point, it's like, look, this guy. Yeah. <laughs> at some point, there's a. Guy's gone up head to head against all these dudes, some in some cases multiple times, and comes out victorious. Yeah, uh, that, I mean that list is impressive. Even this, even this uh, Super Bowl run, he went through Breeze, Rogers, and Mahomes. And yeah, Breeze, fine, he's on his last legs. MVP Rogers, yeah, the best quarterback in the league, Mahomes. Like that is not an easy task. And yeah, the defense helped, but I'm telling you, he playing a smart, efficient game. That will, that's what wins you games. You don't need to be the star or the hero every time. And Brady's actually, understood that and mastered that. This year was so massive for two reasons. One is to do it away from Belichick. I think that was huge, obviously, away from the Patriots system. Two was to be able to beat a guy like Rodgers, who he's never faced before, and who's often thought of as the best quarterback ever from a skill standpoint. Right? A lot yeah. of people say that, including myself. Um, and... That's not to say Brady's not the greatest. It's just a little distinction yep. we like to draw so that we don't give Brady too much credit over here. And then Mahomes, who's the, the, now is really anointed as this is the guy. Like, this is the guy right now uh, who's never played a bad game. And, yeah, the defense, the defense look, Brady has been in advent, advantageous situations his entire career. I don't think you can discount that. No. Yeah. Um, Easy division. creates Good. some of those advantages as well. Um and even the team said, look, he stepped into the building. You said it already. It creates a winning culture. It creates a belief that this is possible. And a lot of times that's half the battle for a quarterback. Get your guys to play hard for you. Uh, coaches can't even do it as much as well as like good quarterbacks can. So, yeah, it's uh, and look, this defense, right? This defense, forget about the offense, because you're, you know, people want to say we got Antonio Brown and Leonard Fournette and Gronk, who. To be honest, if you look at the regular season, they weren't as huge of a played that big of a role as people make them out to be. The defense was the exact same as last year. Exact same. Uh, yeah. JPP, Shaq Barrett, Vita Vea, they're all there. And yeah, you can say it's just because of Jameis's turnovers, but they were sloppy. They were like, I'm, I'm telling you, the, the work ethic that Brady came and instilled, it wasn't from the coaches because the same coaching staff was there last year. It was Brady who instilled a new level of discipline, work ethic, and got that whole team to buy in, both offense and defense. And I think it's most evident on the defense where it's the same group of guys who played a completely different style of, of football this year because of Brady. Yeah, I mean, look, the defense was sloppy, but it probably also sucks to like play your heart out and then <laughs> the quarterback throws a pick every other possession. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's right yeah. back out there. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right, so that's a wrap on this season. I think we have to give the NFL its due for getting through a full year um, without cancellation of a single, you know, there's games postponed. They didn't cancel a single game. They played all 256 regular season games, all the playoff games, including the added two teams, played the Super Bowl on the date it was intended to. They did some things that were questionable at times. They were a little bit um, inconsistent with the rules application. But if you're asking, was this season a success in the face of what they were looking for? I mean, it's a resounding yes. 
Granted, everybody in Tampa, the entire city is getting COVID tomorrow after what the fuck was going on in that stadium and in the streets after the game. But I mean, look, they made it right now. They don't have to worry about it. And hopefully by the time the season rolls around again, we'll have full stadiums. I think one thing we learned is we were hard on the NFL early in the season, really hard on them. And obviously as hoop heads talking about how well Adam Silver was handling it. And then you, you turn around and see what the NBA is doing and they're making, you know, in some cases more egregious mistakes, I would say. And so I think it's just hard. Look, it's hard to manage this pandemic and it's hard to put safety. I mean, it shouldn't be, but it's hard for these organiz- these um, organizations to put safety over their business interests at all times. And so they're inconsistent with the way they do things. But at the end of the day, look, we got through a whole season. They didn't delay the Super Bowl. That's one thing we talked about that maybe they should think about doing. And I don't think there was much of an asterisk. Like you can talk about the Ravens and Steelers oh, no. and some of that, right? So. And I think that ultimately no one's going to remember this as an asterisk championship. Of, of course, I'm going to say that. But uh, but look, I'll tell you. I mean, they got all the way through the playoffs with basically no COVID issues, right? There was a fringe guy here or there. Yep. And, you know, really the biggest ones were round one. Devin White yep. didn't play. Joel Batonio didn't play. And those yep. teams won anyway. Yeah. So Packers weren't missing guys. The You know, the Chiefs weren't missing guys. And all the right teams were in the playoffs, too. It wasn't right. like, you know, some team, like the Chiefs got cost a, a playoff berth because they had this yeah. massive outbreak of COVID, right? So, yeah, yeah. I think overall – they did a great job and, and it ended, ended well. If you want to say something's fluky, it's like Eric Fisher tearing his Achilles like right before the yeah, game. Yeah, but that's like a standard, you know, exactly. time. Exactly. So I, I don't, I wouldn't happen. even go there. Like Tampa, I bet you, honestly, if you go back and look at all the experts' picks preseason, I bet a lot had Tampa versus Kansas City in the Super Bowl. Mm, um, preseason, when there was some Brady hype and there was a little bit of, I mean, there was this, you know, Saints were a popular pick, yeah. but. Our over-under in Vegas was still sitting around 10. So, I, you know, this revisionist history of, oh, we were a Super Bowl team, people didn't believe in Brady that much. There were a couple people who said Super Bowl, yeah, they'd get there, but there was a lot of, of skepticism about 43-year-old Brady. Huh? Didn't I pick Chiefs Bucks? No, you didn't. <laughs> I definitely didn't. Um, but, yeah, anyways, I, it, it's been, it was an amazing season, man. I, it couldn't have ended obviously on, on a better note. So the off season still going to be weird, right? We're still in the clutches of COVID. Um, they're going to do a lot of draft stuff remotely. They're going to do, I think some of those early rookie OTAs and things like that remotely. Hopefully um, if the vaccination rollout goes according to plan, they will be able to convene as normal uh, in training camp in July. Um, so let's talk about next season because the number one thing that we know is the Super Bowl loser always falls off a cliff. <laughs> so first question is, are the Chiefs going to be the first team in some time to buck that trend? Or are we going to be like, wow, Mahomes and the Chiefs window is not as long as we thought. Uh, they're going to be good next year. They're going to be a top one or two seed. But I do think they're more vulnerable. And I, I'm not saying that the you know, the, the answer is out on how to beat the Chiefs and the playbook is, is there with what the Bucks did. But I think the Chiefs needed to be brought down a notch. They had this aura, aura of invincibility um, that I think, frankly, no one thought they could lose. And, and seeing them go down, seeing Mahomes struggle this much, it's going to be a lot more competitive for them next year. So I think they're the favorites. I think they're going to be a one or two seed. I don't think it's a shoe when they go to the Super Bowl, though. I, I think they've got a lot of competition in the AFC itself. 
Yeah, I'll be interested. Uh, by the way, I looked at the FPI from ESPN's FPI for from May 2020. So Brady was part of the Bucks, but a lot of those other guys weren't. Yeah. They were the eighth best Super Bowl odds. There you go. Chiefs were first. Uh, Chiefs were projected 11.2 wins, chance to reach the playoffs 94%. Bucks were 9.1 wins, 63% chance to win, to make the playoffs. Oh, excuse me. There you go. And what's really funny is they were the fifth or sixth AFC, NFC team. They were behind the 49ers, the Saints. Fine. Those are both reasonable. Then the Cowboys, Eagles, which are <laughs> both embarrassing, and then the Seahawks. But yeah, get this, so the- 15. So, you know, nobody knows anything. Buffalo, where's Buffalo out here? Buffalo was 10. So... Yeah, I mean, think about the Niners were also a popular. Obviously, they were coming off a Super Bowl loss, but they look really good. They've got a young, a lot of young yeah, players. Yeah, they were decimated by injuries. So, yeah. yeah, I think the Chiefs are the favorite. I actually think Buffalo is here to stay because I think they'll get a better season from their defense. So, I, I still kind of like those two, but you know, there's always a, a another team that yep. we're not talking about. That like gets Buffalo came out of nowhere. Yeah, uh, there'll be another one. So could it be Baltimore who finally breaks through? Could it be, mm. you know, could it be Tennessee? Um, Cleveland, who knows? Cle- right. Cleveland looked good. And Cleveland was kind of in the Baltimore, in the Buffalo spot where they made the playoffs. They looked a little out of sorts, but they, you know, they played well. They won a playoff game this year. They could easily make it. They get OBJ back. In the NFC, I think Tampa is going to be the favorite because they just did it. But we haven't seen a repeat. I think, in I think opening odds already have Green Bay as a favorite. Really? Green Bay is interesting. I, every year that they don't do it feels like one. It just feels like that was the last one, you know, this year more than most hosting a home playoff game in the conference title. They played a pretty bad Rams, you know, pretty broken Rams team in round two. We're the only team with the bye. I would be, I don't know. Maybe they got it in them, but that one feels tough. I I think New Orleans. Based on who they put at quarterback. Ugh, I'm not even worried about New Orleans. Um, who are they going to put at quarterback? Jameis? Taysom Hill? It needs to be someone else. If it's one of those two, I'm not worried about it either. Yeah. I don't I don't know if they're going to – what their backup plan is. I, I think the Bucks on paper have the best shot, to be honest. They, they're going to bring back a lot. They're going to pay for a lot of guys. Mike Evans already said he's going to take less money, restructure his deal to, to sign some of these guys. Um and, uh, you know, there might be the Fournette might go somewhere else, A, A, B, but those guys are just kind of bit pieces. We don't need them. The the Washington. challenge is huh? – Washington will be good. The challenge is it's just hard to go to the Super Bowl twice in a row because, look, this year we got relatively okay injury. You know, injury-wise, we were okay. Um, next year, who knows? What if an offensive tackle tears an ACL? What if Brady misses a few games? It's just hard to do it two years in a row. So I don't – like the odds of it happening, but I think on paper the Bucks are as prime as anyone to to make another run for it. Yeah, I I, I think, yeah, I agree. And the other team I was looking at is Seattle, but they always flame out. And I think Russell Wilson has gotten a little overrated. There's a reason he's never got an MVP vote because he doesn't sustain that play all sixteen, all seventeen weeks of the season. I think the Rams and Niners next year are going to be serious contenders. The Niners just by virtue of being healthy. Yeah, uh, and then the Rams just by virtue of having an upgrade at quarterback, uh, like those teams, I think are going to be really hard uh, to beat. Post-season. All right, give me one. Yeah, we didn't even talk about the Stafford move, but give me one crazy long shot in both 
conferences who can make that like kind of five to 11, five and 11 to 11 and five type jump. Crazy long shot. Oh man. Um, Minnesota Vikings. I kind of like them. Um, I think they, they had a lot of injuries they dealt with this, this past year. I think they need to shore up their line play a little bit, but they've got talent at the skill positions. Mm-hmm. Justin Jefferson's only going to get better. Kirk Cousins, you know, he had an uneven year, but he's he's talented still. Um, they, although, who knows if he gets moved uh, to like a team like the Niners. Uh, and I think they, their, their defense is going to only get better. They had a really down year last year. So yeah. that's one of those teams that has the talent to do it. Do I trust them? <laughs> I don't know, but they could easily be 11 and 5, like, and I wouldn't bat an eye. All right, so I'm going Cowboys. I think you get Dak back. Hopefully, the defense starts to play a little bit better than they did this past season. I think they're going to have to reshuffle the O-line a little bit because it it wasn't the strength that it used to be. And in the AFC, I'm going to say the Broncos because I actually think they're a sneaky contender for Deshaun. Um, Mm. And that's the big shoe to drop, right? If he goes to Miami, if he goes to the Jets, if he goes to Dolphins, I'm sorry, uh, Broncos, wherever, that's also going to create potentially another contender. Those are good. Those are good. Um, who would I have in the AFC? I don't know. Like Miami's uh, the quarterback situation is just too. It's dicey. Yeah, I don't know what they've got with two of uh, the rest. Chargers, of the maybe the Chargers. Chargers, I think will will be good. Um, I don't know. I, I think there are a lot of interesting teams next year. It's nice that some of the old guys are kind of getting phased out. Like yeah. if Roethlisberger leaves, if Breeze leaves, it's it's just fresh blood, and it's going to shake things up next year. Um, yep, and we already have Phil Rivers out in Indianapolis, so we'll see what they do because that's another team that has a ton of talent. Except yep. they're a very similar situation actually to to Tampa Bay. Yeah, um, they're loaded on defense. It's all homegrown, built. You know, loaded running game, great offensive line. I mean, it's actually the dream scenario. Maybe they don't have the skill position uh, talent that that Tampa had, but everything else, and they play in an easy division. I think. I mean, I don't know. Like, if you're Deshaun Watson, you really want to go somewhere. That would be where I would kind of look at. Oh, I agree. Uh, anyway, he won't get traded in division or anything, but that that's the spot, whether it's him or or maybe even like a Sam Darnold looking for a fresh start. But mm-hmm. all right. So because it's your week, this is the Karthik week, everyone. We're going to wrap. We're, we've already gone over an hour here, but we're going to wrap. We have to talk about the red hot Sacramento Kings who doubled up your Super Bowl Sunday, fun day, yesterday. They beat the Clippers in a game that came down to the wire. It looked like they were going to lose the lead and Kawhi was going to make a play or two. But I think they've won, what, seven of eight? Um, Mm -hmm. And the one loss was by one point. Uh, They have the worst defense in the NBA, but the level that Fox has taken his game to is starting to be what everyone was hoping for. So talk to me about the Kings and – are you revising your over-under predictions of of a strong under? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they might hit the over. Look, I think everyone's surprised. Kings fans are surprised. It's still too early to assume. We've had stretches like this, even with the Jaeger Kings, where I think late into the season we were 500 and then we collapsed. I think the most promising thing, though, is that Fox has taken a leap, which we needed him to. He's a max guy, and he needed to show that he can be that player, and he's done that the last – I mean, he's – and uh, player of the week uh, with Giannis this past yep. week, a, an award a King hasn't won since DeMarcus Cousins in 2017, right before he was traded. 
and he's taken a leap and Halliburton has been like he's gotten so good that Kings fans are like Luca who and remember I, I told you there'd be no one who could make us forget about Luca and all of a sudden like Halliburton is is making us forget so him and Fox whenever you're building a team you want at least two or three pieces you can be confident in and the yeah. problem with the Kings is you know Fox was looking like that Bagley was not panning out Buddy is already kind of too old and he has his limitations but it now looks like we have our backcourt of the future and Rashawn Holmes is looking to be like a piece worth keeping. Um, his defense has improved greatly this year. He has a very consistent kind of push shot. He's one of the most effective players in terms of field goal percentage. Um, so it's a, a lot of promising players. Harrison Barnes is balling out and I think, you know, will be a good trade candidate. So look, it's a long season. The West is really competitive. But I think the most promising thing is just that we have some real studs in Fox and Halliburton, and that's making everything worth it. Fox reminds me a lot of John Wall, who also got maxed after his third year with like a lot of promise, but no consistency um, enough to lead a winning team. And he made his first All-Star game in his fourth year. Uh, so the Wizards, I remember the Wizards fans that summer when they gave him the max were like, can we like cool it on committing five more years to this dude who hasn't quite shown us? Yeah. And I think Fox is similar. And I don't know if Fox will get into the game. I actually think for me, he was my first out uh, with Christian Wood getting the spot. And I think with Wood's ankle injury, I actually have Fox in the in the 12 for now. I think the thing that really hurts it's not so much as Bagley over Luca because with Luca maybe you don't take Halliburton and of course you'd rather have Luca than anybody right that's not yeah, yeah, yeah. conversation but it hurts that Bagley's not one of these guys yeah because it's tough to win in this league with two guards as your best players uh, we've seen teams do it with somewhat successful uh, Portland and to an extent Washington and you know maybe Houston but. And, and, Golden State, and Golden State, but they're all unique situations. And I don't know that these guys necessarily have the talent of a Dame or Steph or Harden. But if Bagley was a guy, like he kind of showed even his rookie year, then you talk about the future of this Kings being a lot different than I don't, than I think it is right now. Like one of the things I worry about with Sacramento and it's fun. So I'm not trying to rain on the parade, but one of the things I worry about is you remember that season they were supposed to suck and then they went 39 and 43. Yeah. That cost him a top pick to add to a nucleus that needed a one more guy. And I worry something similar could happen this year where the the young stars are outplaying, you know, what people thought they would be. They have a really good nucleus. They like playing together. I think getting rid of Bogdanovich was huge for Heal to just play a little bit more freely. Um and I I that's the only thing I'd worry, but it's fun to watch this team. They play like crazy games every night. I mean, that, that's an internal debate with Kings fans, too. Like, why are we winning these games when you want to, you know, fade for Cade and, and all these great players that are going to be Oh, we're track. fading for Cade. Yeah, Play. but I, it comes to the point where if you're winning on the strength of your youth, and, and that's the thing, we're not getting heavy minutes. Like, Bayelitsa has been benched. Um, yeah. You know, yeah, Barnes, he's a vet. But you know what? That's fine. Like, we have him under contract. If we want to keep him, we can. It's not like he's totally gone yeah. after the season. Um, and we're winning on the backs of Fox, and Halliburton and Holmes, young players. And so if you win with young guys, you can't be angry, right? And so I'd rather us show a lot of promise with them and miss out on a top pick than not see that progress, get the top pick, and you're still floundering. And, and look, the odds, the lottery odds have flattened out, and that makes me so wary of getting that topic anyway. Like the worst thing you could do is tank to get like the second worst record and then 
end up with a sixth pick yeah. or seventh pick. And and then what are you left with? So I'm I'm okay with what they're doing right now. But I agree. I, I think that's the worry is that you need you need another elite player and ideally a wing or a big. And you're not getting that in free agency. Those guys don't show up. You need to draft. So Yeah. I mean, you of course let this play out. You're not going to do anything, you know, you're not going to be sitting young guys. The question just becomes if you have an option of moving Barnes for a real future asset, whether it's a pick or young player, do you do it, right? You so, know, Celtics are going to come calling at some point because that's the exact kind of guy they need. Like, that's the thing. Do you hold on <laughs> to or not? So th- this, is, this, became, this is a really hard question because a week ago, every Kings fan was ready to give up Barnes. A week later, it's like, maybe we hold on to him. We can make a run for the sixth seed. It's it's hard, man, because if we give up Barnes, we're going to, like, from win total perspective, we're not going to be as competitive because he has done so much for us this year and it's been so yeah. steady. So I don't know. Um, I, I just hope they can make the playoffs the same year, Bucks and Kings. Like, dude, this year, it's got to be the year. It's if that doesn't year. work, you still have the Lakers, who are your co-team now. <laughs> no, I don't <laughs> LeBron is rolling. He might win an MVP I, this season. I will say I love that LeBron always uh, loves when Brady does well, and um, he's always tweeting about it. Tweeted Tampa Bay. Tweeted like the goat. You this know? is the self-serving nature of LeBron because he wants to rem- you to remember that he's also along with. Uh, yeah, but Tom. they're both the same. They're the same guy. Oh my god! Uh, it is but anyway, it is amazing. Um, but they came from like Toler total polar opposites in terms of expectations when entering the league and then their paths slowly convened converged and now they're just like on the same path yeah um so we'll see man the only thing that can make all this better is uh actually there's nothing um, nothing this is UCLA maybe basketball is playing well right now maybe they make a run in the tourney or we get vaccined and we're grinding in vegas again in like four months <laughs> <laughs> Those are the only two outcomes that I'm rooting for: UCLA basketball and me at excess. Live, record, live recording of thick and thin from the the Bellagio fountains. Oh man, that would be that would be something. That would be something. But, all right, congrats again, man. I'm happy for you. I'm happy for Bucks fans. I don't know anybody else but you, but uh, I think you had a lot of people pulling for you last night just because of the misery you've all tangentially put us through over the last uh i did i i will say that I've, since i've been pitied so much i got a lot of congratulations you deserve it and i think now i don't need any of that anymore i can become the enemy again i'm a super bowl champ let the haters come at me i'm ready for it no need oh, for uh the pity anymore i'm not gonna hold back but all right <laughs> that's a wrap for us please rate review and subscribe to thick and thin on all major podcast platforms please Email us at thickandthinhoops at gmail.com, and we will talk to you next week.